Shalom, welcome to Tanakh Study. Alex Israel here once again, progressing through Parshat Lechlecha. And this time we're going to read the story of Hagar. Chapter 16, verse 1, Perakteh Zayin, Pasuk Aleph. Let's read. V'sarai eshet Aram lo yaldalo b'la shivcha mitzrit ushma Hagar. Now Sarai, Avram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian slave girl named Hagar. Let me point out, and I'll read to you a comment by Robert Alter. Um, the, the use of the word slave girl, shifcha, the tradition, he says, of English versions that render this as maid or handmaiden, imposes a misleading sense of European gentility. <clears throat> On the sociology of the story, the point is that Hagar belongs to Sarai as property, and the ensuing complications of the relationship build on that fundamental fact. Later on, Hagar will also be referred to as Amma. The two terms designate precisely the same social status. So uh, I think it's important that when we translate the word Shifcha, we understand what we're dealing with. We're dealing with uh, Hagar in a sense of being a slave girl to the family, and we're going to relate some of the uh, laws which relate to this, uh, laws which were relevant at the time. So Sarai hasn't managed to give birth, uh, uh, give, uh, produce a child to Avram, and we have Hagar, the, the slave girl, but Thomas Sarai Abraham. Sarai said to Avraham, Pray, Hashem has kept me from bearing children. Uh, please be intimate with my slave girl. Maybe I will be built up through her. And Avram listened to Sarai's voice. What is this idea of being built through her? This is something that we see later on. You know, nowadays we talk about surrogacy and adoption. Uh, and of course, we have the medical technology to be able to deal with those things. But in ancient times, they couldn't deal with it medically, but they had the same concept. And therefore, we see both here with Sarai. She can't biologically have a child, but she wants to use her handmaid, um, her, her slave girl, in order to actually be able to have the, the, the child that she cannot have. This is the same as we see later on with Rachel, uh, Rachel, who says the same thing. She's, she also can't have children. And she turns around in chapter 30, verse 3, amati bilha, bilha. She says to Jacob, Here is my handmaid, Bilha. Bo eleha, bateled al birkai. She will give birth on my lap. gam mena. And later, of course, and I will be built through her. And later, of course, it is Rachel who names these children. So this was an accepted arrangement in the ancient world for somebody who was experiencing infertility to take their slave and to use them as a surrogate. Okay, uh, this is a way of solving the problem. Um, Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her slave girl, after Avram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and she gave her to Avram, her husband, as a wife. Avram, Avram, 
he was intimate with Hagar, she became pregnant, and when she saw she was pregnant, she uh, her mistress was now lightened in her eyes. Sarai turned to Avram and said to, said to him, My outrage is your fault. I gave my slave girl to you um, in your bosom. Now she sees she's pregnant. And I am lightened in her eyes. Yishpot Hashem. Let God judge between me and you. Your slave girl is in your hands. Do whatever you see fit. Sarai oppressed her. We're going to examine this phrase. And she ran away. Um, did she oppress her? Did she harass her? What exactly is going on? Because, of course, Hagar runs away. Um, I'll read one more. Pasuk Asbzaim. An angel of God found her by a water spring in the wilderness, by the by the spring on the way to Shur. Hagar runs out of the family home, and we're sort of wondering what's happened here, that she runs out into the wilderness. What really is going on? The Ramban... Um, turns to this topic with a critical eye towards Sarai. And he says, Sarai sinned with this uh, abuse. Begam Avraham, and not only Sarai, but also Avram, God listened to Hagar's oppression, and gave her a son, Shiyeh, Adam, who would be a wild man, are not Zerah Avraham, and would eventually oppress the offspring of Avraham, the Sarah, the Cholmine Ha'inui. This is a very harsh statement. We already saw the Ramban's difficult statements in uh, chapter 13, where he criticizes Avraham for his treatment of Sarai in their descent to Egypt. And here again, the Ramban shows his colors as somebody who's willing to criticize the Avot and says that Sarai really should not have uh, acted in the way that she did to Hagar and that this came back to hit the Jewish people in the face later on when the descendants of Ishmael, I assume he means the Islamic nations, um, caused all sorts of trouble for the Jewish people. Likewise, the Radak says, when it says Sarai, Sarai oppressed Hagar. Um, the pregnant uh, Hagar it might have treated Sarai lightly, but Sarai pushed her too far. made her work harshly. I'm not sure how the Radak knows this, but I assume he deduces this from the fact. Hagar found it so unbearable to be in the house and ran away. And he says it's possible that Sarai used to beat her and also curse her. And she couldn't stand being there anymore, Hagar. 
and says the Radak, he continues and says, What she did was actually immoral and certainly not the actions of a pious person. This is the critical approach, and according to this, and we remember the use of the of the verb inui in the previous chapter, where Am Yisrael are told, or where Avram is told that his children will be enslaved in Egypt, and it says, Va'abadum vi'inu otam arbami shana for 400 years, they will, be, they will enslave them and they will oppress them. The same verb is used here, and therefore, when it says, Vata'anea sarai, that Sarai oppressed her, we might imagine the same thing. The problem is that this isn't really sustainable because uh, let's keep reading from uh, Pasuk Zayim. An angel found Hagar, who had run away, by the water spring in the wilderness, the spring by the way of Shore. And he says, Hagar, Shivchat Sarai, Amy Telechi. Sort of like a question like Ayeka, where are you? Frequently we see God engage. Here it's not a God, it's it's an angel of God. But uh, they are simple open questions. So what does he ask here? Where are you coming from and where are you going to? Well, she doesn't answer where she's going to because she has no clue where she's going. But she says, I am escaping, fleeing from Sarai, my mistress. The Malach Hashem says to Hagar, Go back to your mistress and subject yourself to her inui, to her oppression. If the Radak and the Ramban are correct, is it possible that the Malach Hashem, if he's, she's really been beaten and cursed, she's been worked befarech, so harshly, so much so that I assume she's concerned that she could lose her baby, would it be reasonable for the Malach to turn back and say, subject yourself to her harsh labor, to her oppression? That seems uh, virtually impossible. How could such a thing be conceivable? And therefore, there is another approach that Bata'aneha Sarai means something completely different. It doesn't mean she subjected her to physical torture or anything so radical. And I think it would be difficult to imagine Sarai acting in such a way, uh, even if she feels in some way vindictive. No, I think we're going to suggest a different approach. And uh, for this, we have to look back at a text, an ancient text, which is called the Code of the Hammurabi. Hammurabi was a Mesopotamian king who lived around the time of Abraham, a little before. And he, there is a legal code which has been discovered by archaeologists, the Code of the Hammurabi. Now, there are lots of problems with this code, and not everything there we would consider to be moral by modern standards, and even by the Torah standards. But I'm going to read you a segment here from paragraph 146 of the Code of the Hammurabi, and this is what it says. If a man marries a woman, and she gave a female slave to her husband, and she has then born children, so her female slave is given to the husband, and they've had, and the slave has had children. If later that female slave claims equality with her mistress, 
because she has borne children, her mistress may not sell her, but she may mark her with the slave mark and count her amongst the slaves. Let's try and understand what they're saying here. It's exactly our situation. Avram has a wife called Sarai, and she has a slave. Now, she, since Sarai can't have children, he is intimate with his uh, slave girl, and they now have children. In fact, in our text here in chapter uh, 16, we see that Fatitenotali Avram Isha Lol Isha. Sarai doesn't only give the slave to be intimate but as a wife. But now what happens is that Hagar, she, she gets pregnant and she treats her mistress, mistress lightly. In other words, uh, and, and this drives Sarai crazy. My violence is to you, Avram. I've given your, my, my slave to you. And now she sees she's pregnant. I am light in her eyes and let God judge between me and you. Avram says, she's your slave. Do however you please. Sarai. Sarai oppresses her. What's happening here? The minute Hagar gets pregnant, she sees herself on par with Sarai. Of course, she's going to be the ma- Sarai might be the wife, but she is going to be the, ma- the mother of Abraham's children. And these are covenantal children. Remember in the previous chapter, God had told Avraham that whoever comes from your loins, Avraham, he will inherit you. And she is carrying this prodigal uh, son, this son and heir, and she assumes parity with, with Sarai. And this creates tremendous distress to Sarai. Sarai is the wife, and suddenly this slave girl is acting up. And um, I don't know if the question is to what degree she is doing her housework, but she certainly is relating to Sarai in a disdainful way, probably sees herself, herself a young woman, fertile, looking at Sarai and looking down at her as this sort of wasted woman, this woman who isn't really worth her own value. And so what Avram says is, your maidservant is in your hands. She's your maidservant. She's your slave. Do whatever you like. Sarai oppresses her. What sort of oppression? Exactly what Hammurabi said. That she can consider her one of the slaves. She assumes that she has to do her daily chores or whatever else a slave girl is meant to do. I don't think she hits her. I don't think she even needed to do anything of the sort. But she puts her back into her slave status. And it seems to me that at this point, Hagar can't stand it, and she runs away. Why can't she stand it? We'll see in a minute. As we saw, she runs off to this uh, spring in the desert, desert and uh, an angel appears to her. And we have a three time, three, threefold refrain. Return back to your mistress and subject yourself to her inui. As again, I'm explaining Inoi is not abuse. Inoi means that she is treating her like a slave. A second time. I will expand greatly your offspring, Hagar, and they will not be able to be counted because they will be so numerous. 
same sort of blessing which actually Avram was given in the previous chapter. Hashem, a third statement, you are pregnant. you're going to have a son. His name will be Yishmael. What a beautiful name that God will hear. God will hear in the future, just like Shama Hashem that God has heard your suffering. He will be a wild man. His hand on everyone, and everybody's hands on him. And he will live in the face of his brothers. It's not quite clear what those lines mean. But now, she feels a sense of relief. She now names the angel that spoke to her, Shem Hashem, who spoke to her and said, Ata el ra'i, you are a god of vision. Ki amra hagam halom ra'iti ro'i. Because she said, did I not go on seeing here after he saw me? In other words, I'm still here. I am still able to see. I didn't die by seeing this angel. And therefore I'm going to name this place in this way. And therefore she called the well, the well of Lachai Ro'i. Notice, by the way, so many different expressions of Re'iyah, of seeing here. The notion of vision is very, very prominent in this uh, chapter. And the chapter finishes with the birth of Ishmael. Hagar gave birth to Avraham, gave birth to a son, and Avraham called the name of his son, Beno, his son, which Hagar had, had born for him. He called him Ishmael. Did Hagar tell him? Did he somehow intuit that this was the name to call the son? Nothing is told about that. Avram ben Shmonim Shana, the Sheish Shanim. He was 86 years old. Beled Hagar et Ishmael la Avram. He was 86 years old when Hagar gave birth to Ishmael to Avram. Uh, we've just seen the scene with the angel. The angel shows a lot of sympathy to um, to Hagar. He says, I'm going to Harbar bet Zarech expand your offering offspring so that they won't be able to be counted. He says that your son is going to be a, a, a wild man. What is the meaning of all of this? And I, I'd like to suggest the following. The angel is sending Hagar back. Why did Hagar run away, particularly at this point? I'd suggest that the minute she realizes she's pregnant, she might be a slave girl. But she doesn't want her child to be a slave child. And she is deeply concerned that this child will be born in this slave status and continue in this way. Now, the angel is going to send her back, but he wants to compensate. And therefore he says, I will expand your offspring and they won't be counted uh, because of their uh, great number. But then he says, you're pregnant, you're going to have a son, he's going to be Ishmael, because God's heard your suffering, and he will be a pere adam. What exactly does this mean? He will be a wild, a, a wild man. I think on the basic level, uh, Rashi says, He's going to be wild, he's going to be in the desert, he's going to be a hunter. This doesn't seem like a particularly 
good thing. And uh, later on he says, Yadobakol, that he's going to be a highwayman, or he's going to be somebody who's going to be robbing people. Certainly not a positive view. And this wouldn't seem to offer any consolation to Hagar, unless Hagar was looking to have a violent son. But the Ibn Ezra offers a different perspective. The word pera can mean a wild donkey. Now let me explain. A donkey is the classic animal which bears a load. A donkey is the truck of biblical times. It is the four by four because it can is tremendously strong and can carry a very heavy load. That's a domesticated donkey. However, a pera, as we know from various other psukim in Tanakh in Yov, for example, Mi Shalach Perech of Shi, says the Ibn Ezra, who sent the wild donkey free. This is a donkey who lives out in the wilderness and is uh, not beholden to anybody, doesn't bear a saddle or a load, and they just live free in the desert, in the wilderness. When the angel tells Hagar that her son will be a Pere Adam, she's saying, you might be a slave, you might bear a load, but your son is not going to be a donkey. Your son is going to be a Pere. He's going to be a human Pere. He's going to be, just like the donkey goes free, he will be free. Nobody will be his master. If we want to summarize then, we'll say that the angel sent Hagar runs away because she doesn't want her son to be a slave, and God reassures her he has heard her suffering. His um, Shema Hashem Yech, which means he understands that you don't want to be a slave. Here I, I actually found it remarkable that the Tanakh is tremendously sensitive to the plight of slavery. Just in the last chapter, Avram was told that his seed would be slaves in a land which wasn't theirs, they'd be strangers and slaves for 400 years. But it almost seems like God is offering the same sympathy to Hagar, who is a slave, and she doesn't like it that her children will be brought out in slavery. And God says, oh, I'll send them free. Your son will be a para. God has listened to you on Yech. He's listened to your suffering. And in fact, uh, it is Martin Buber in his book, Darkoshal Mikra, who says that this threefold, Vayomer la Malach Hashem, very ceremonial, uh, announces that Elohim ha'ohed ger matzdik v'onam etuzara b'shel ha'bchira t'chia ha'ichrechit. He says, indeed, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who loves the stranger, actually vindicates Sarah and sends Hagar back, but at the same time, he says, um, he is merciful to Hagar and understands her plight and her difficulty with her slave status and shows her sympathy. And therefore, he says, you will be numerous in number, and your son will be free. And that lovely name, Ishmael, Ishmael has fallen out of usage in Jewish circles, but we actually know that there was a Kohen Gadol called Rabbi Ishmael ben Elisha, and we know that there was a, one of the greatest Tanaim was Rabbi Ishmael, who's always arguing with Rabbi Akiva. Ishmael was a good Jewish name until the advent of Islam, and since Islam, I don't think Jews have been calling their children Ishmael. Uh, this lovely name Ishmael expresses that Hashem is attentive to Hagar, in which case we might well ask the question, why does he send her back? Why does he send her back to Sarai and Abraham? Just let her go free. 
So I think the first thing is, of course, she's bearing Avram's child, and that's pretty pretty important. But I'd, I'd like to say the uh, second thing. She's going to go back, and this child Ishmael is going to be raised by Avram as if he is his heir, as if he is the son. God said that indeed um, the son who will come from his, in, in the previous chapter, he says, uh, Whoever comes from you, Avram, will inherit you. And Avram's major assumption is that this child is the child. I always think about this, uh, that basically for the first 13 years of his life, Avram is going to be told about the birth of Yitzchak in the next chapter, when he is 99 years of age. But basically, from the birth of Yishmael until Yishmael's bar mitzvah, until he's 13, Avram's pretty sure that this is the son. Boy, this is quite a test for Avram and Sarai. Now, he's not going to be the son because God wants the son who is going to continue on Israel to come not just from Avram, but from Sarai as well. And that's why Yitzchak is going to be so significant. That's our next chapter. But so why why does all this happen? Well, let's look back at the beginning of the, the, the chapter. Sarai hadn't managed to have a children. And she comes up with a solution. Why don't you be intimate with my shivcha? Maybe you'll be built through her. The whole process is brought into action by Sarai's initiative, a very generous initiative, I have to say. She is displacing herself and allowing another woman into her bedroom, so to speak. Uh, a very, very sacrificial action. But here I'd like to say something about the process which Sarai and Avram are going through. We all know the end of the story, and therefore we understand that this wasn't meant to be. That this child wasn't meant to be the son. But Avram and Sarai don't know this. Throughout the parsha, Avram's been promised the to to your seed, I will give this land over and over and over. And in chapter 16, he's told that indeed it will be a biological son. And they have no information. They're fumbling in the dark. Now what do you do? Sarai hears from Avram, it's going to be his biological child. And I assume what she comes to a very simple conclusion. If I'm infertile, I'm going to really have to find another way for my husband to have a child. And this is where she comes up with the plan for Avram to marry Hagar. And it's only 13 years later that they realize how wrong they were and that God had different plans for them. And I'm stressing this because we talk about 10 tests of Avram. And these are indeed tests. As human beings, we might have some inkling of what God wants, but we don't always know how to get to that point. Certainly Avram and Sarai didn't know. Now we have a Torah and we have an idea of how to fulfill God's will. But even in our world, we don't always understand how to follow God. Avram and Sarai were trying their best with this scanty information that they had to try and fulfill this covenantal legacy. And to this degree, Sarai again engages in an incredible sacrificial action and gives her slave girl to Avraham so that she can become pregnant and have a child. In this regard, Hagar has to go back. 
because at this stage of the story, this is what they think is happening. This is the child. This is the child who is going to be the heir. As I say, only 13 years later, they're going to find they were wrong. But God, if you want, backs Avram and Sarai on the one hand, but also is sensitive to Hagar. And maybe this really shows Hashem's in, in unbelievable sensitivity to every single side of this equation. Of course, when we see it in this perspective, we realize just how much this really is a test for Avram and Sarai. And uh, what we're going to do next time, please God, is look at chapter 17, the Parsha of Brit Milah, and see how the story ends in a very, very happy way. Thank you for listening. Have a great day.